Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Tallahassee, Florida. We've set up our temporary studios for Prophecy Today. Right after the broadcast, we're going to travel west. We're going over to Pensacola, Florida. We'll be at the Marcus Point Baptist Church. Pastor Gordon Godfrey has invited everybody in the region, and many of you probably will be listening to this broadcast on Faith Radio. If you are, we'd love to invite you to a one-meeting prophecy conference, Sunday morning only, 10 a.m. That's Marcus Point Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida, 10 a.m. only, a one-time prophecy sermon for you at that location. Hope you can come and join us as we study Bible prophecy. Well, this is a very interesting day in history. It was 50 years ago in 1969 on July the 20th when a man from the United States of America walked on the moon. Dr. Don DeYoung, who is an astronomer and a scientist, is going to join us a bit later. We're going to be talking about that unbelievable achievement, and I'll be talking also about what Neil Armstrong had to say to his Jewish guide when he walked on the footsteps of Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem. All of our other broadcast partners are standing by, so keep the dial set. But first, we're going to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who looks at geopolitical activities across the world, helps us to understand what's happening. And Ken, everything seems to be ratcheting up as it relates to the U.S.-Iranian conflict that's going on somewhat in the Persian Gulf. Looks like the United States responsible for bringing down an Iranian drone. What do we know about this? Well, you're right, Jimmy. The tension is ratcheting up. The Iranians are quite embarrassed by losing the drone. They've denied that any of their drones had been disabled or shot down. The news that I've heard is that it was not even shot down, but taken over electronically and crashed about 1,000 meters from the USS Boxer uh, near the Strait of Hormuz. So that's bad news for the Iranians. They are continuing to find ways to challenge us militarily without provoking a massive U.S. military response. I think the deployments over the past couple of weeks by the Trump administration, the naval deployments, the enlisting of allies to join us to escort these very large crude carriers, the VLCC tankers, through the Strait of Hormuz. This has got the Iranians on edge. They're a bit worried. They have backed off, at least temporarily, from their attacks on the tankers themselves. Remember, there were several mine, mine attacks on tankers as they exited the Strait of Hormuz. They backed off from that, but, um, you know, we're still hearing extremely bellicose rhetoric from the Iranians claiming that they own the Strait of Hormuz and anybody who tries to block their own exports, oil exports, will find their ships under challenge. This is only continuing activities that seems to cause this conflict to get larger and larger and possibly move toward some type of a real war there in the Persian Gulf area. You know, I was uh, watching one of the news programs on cable television 
and they had the former director of special ops. He was a two-star general, I believe, and he said that this CO, the commanding officer of the boxer, USS Boxer, made the exact perfect move. He didn't shoot the drone down, which he could have done, but instead electronically brought it down. That's that's good thinking and great strategy by the U.S., isn't it? Uh, I, I think so. And, and again, it demonstrated to the Iranians that when it comes to cyber, we are the masters of the universe. They may pride themselves on a couple of exploits, which they have carried out. They have taken over a U.S. drone. They did so in 2011 you know, severed the communications link between that Sentinel drone and the U.S. military in Afghanistan, flew it into Iran, crashed it, took it over, and then reversed engineered that drone. That's given them tremendous technology. They had help from the Russians on this. They shared the technology from that Sentinel drone with the Russians as well. Uh, But since then, since 2011, they have had limited success. They did apparently take over another drone in the Persian Gulf or shoot one down a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that nearly provoked President Trump to launch a retaliatory military strike. He, He retreated from that position at the very last minute because he did not think the loss of an unmanned drone was worth killing 150 or more Iranians. Uh, But we are still masters of the cyber universe, and I think the Iranians are a little bit cowed when they see that. Looks like the United States would be the adults in this conflict, and the children, the Iranians, are not doing or making the right decisions. However, they did come together with Russia and Syria uh, to set strategic strategy in place as it relates to the Middle East. And this is a key move because it does play into the end-time scenario of the alignment of the nations found in Bible prophecy. That's right. And we see this increasing Russian-Iranian cooperation. It's not just political dialogue. It's strategic cooperation, military cooperation in Iran. We've seen recently a revival of a oil for goods program that they signed in 2014 where Russia would be buying up to 100,000 barrels a day of Iranian oil and then selling it to other countries. This is a way of helping Iran get around the sanctions. Uh, Russia sees an interest in this because they too are subject to international sanctions. So you have the two of them really in each other's arms, Russia and Iran in each other's arms uh, where the Russians are supporting the Iranian economy They're supporting the Iranian military, and they're supporting Iran's continued presence, military presence, in Syria. You know, Iraq is mentioned in Bible prophecy. That would be Revelation chapter 18. But it's a war-torn country now trying to rebuild. However, they have proposed a conference where they would be the mediator between Iran and the United States. Now, what do we know about that? Are they qualified to do that? Will this go any place at all? Well, it's going to be interesting to see this. You're right. There is now an offer. You have the EU Foreign Secretary, uh, Mogherini, the woman from Italy, who traveled to Baghdad just this past week to speak with their Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, about Iraq hosting some kind of conference that would try to decrease the level of tensions uh, between the United States and Iran. But the Iraqis are really in, in a troubling situation right now. They're in a difficult spot because the Iranians have essentially taken over Iraq. They have a military force in Iraq of about 100,000 men in arms in these uh, what they call the popular mobilization forces. These are ostensibly Iraqi 
militias, but they are controlled by Iran's Revolutionary Guards and specifically by Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force. So the Iraqi government sees its own sovereignty eroded by Iran's military presence in Iraq. And I think this is a, I won't call it a desperate move, but it is certainly a, a move aimed at to try to um, get their chestnuts out of the fire here with the U.S. They don't want to see the U.S. intervening militarily on Iraqi soil to whack Iranian-backed Iraqi militias. That's the last thing that the Iraqi government wants to see, but that is increasingly a real possibility. Can NATO-linked pundits, those political pundits who try to comment on everything, think they know the answer to all things, say that Russia is now set for a regional war possibly in Europe. But do the facts really back that up, Ken? Well, uh, look, the Russians have made many aggressive military moves. We saw them in Crimea. We've seen them in, in the Ukraine. That's why they are under international sanctions today. And they have continued to threaten the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, uh, in that northwestern uh, corner of Europe there. And uh, they continue to threaten Poland. So the Russians do have a great amount of military capability poised on that western front. And the, the significant thing here is that the Russians also have a military doctrine that uses nuclear weapons as part of a conventional war. That is something that we don't do in the West. So there, there is some backbone to this analysis by these German experts. Now, of course, the Russians themselves try to poo-poo it and say, no, this is never going to happen. But I think there's, a, there, there, there's something real going on here. There is a significant Russian military buildup. We've seen the strategic modernization of their nuclear weapons forces over the past 10 years with $650 billion that they pumped into building new ballistic missile submarines, a new generation of uh, ground-based ballistic missiles to attack the United States and also Europe. So I think there's something there. You know, there was an Iranian official this last week who visited Bashar Assad, president of Syria. They had a conversation, and out of that conversation, the Iranian official said that Israel does not have a future in that region, the Middle East. Boy, that contradicts the Bible, but what about the statements by the Iranians? There, there they go again, trying to say they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Yeah, there they go again, and the thing is, uh, should they uh, attempt it, uh, I believe that the Israelis would retaliate with overwhelming force, probably, well, with the possibility of a nuclear response should the Iranians ever dare to launch a weapon of mass destruction against them. This is a war of words we've seen going on for decades, but as Iran becomes more powerful, as it is closer and closer to a nuclear weapons capability, as it develops its long-range ballistic missiles and expands the fleet of nuclear-capable missiles that can hit Israel, these kind of words take on more meaning, I think, and become increasingly threatening. But I read the bottom line. The last chapter is that Iran, instead of Israel, be wiped off the face of the earth forever. Well, Ken Timmerman is key, folks, for our understanding of what's happening around this world geopolitically, and we bring him to this broadcast table with his key analysis of what is going on. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week. Always a pleasure to be with you, Jimmy. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Tallahassee, Florida. Judy and I are on our way over to Pensacola, Florida. We're going to be at the Marcus Point Baptist Church, one service, and it's Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Love to have you come study Bible prophecy. If you're in that region, you may well be listening to Faith Radio, and they'll be announcing I'll be on the air there. We'll be coming over to Marcus Point after we finish the broadcast today right here in Tallahassee. Well, as promised, David Dolan, he's the man who covers the Middle East region. And when we talk about the Middle East, of course, with Ken Timmerman, I bring information in about Iran and other Middle Eastern nations. But when we go to David Dolan, we basically focus on Jerusalem and Israel and the Jewish people, which is key if you want to understand the end-time scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. David, great to have you back. Sorry we were not able to connect last week, but uh, let's get right underway. The prime minister said this week the Israeli Defense Force may be the only army ready to fight Iran. That sounds like they say, hey, if you want to do it, let's get on the battlefield. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, yes, uh, the prime minister made several pretty strong statements this week concerning Iran and concerning, uh, again, Hezbollah in Lebanon. 
he spoke to a graduating class of soldiers, and he uh, warned uh, that uh, civilians in Lebanon would not be spared if there was a, a war, because he said, we know that uh, Hezbollah has its rockets under houses and in civilian areas. We don't want to kill civilians, but we will respond with all of our might if we are attacked. And, of course, he's been saying the same thing about Iran for some time, and that, you know, the Israelis are not wanting war, but are ready as much as possible for war. And, of course, the background is uh, beefing up U.S. forces in Saudi Arabia and the other things that are going on in the Gulf. But it still looks very much on edge, Jimmy. And the prime minister, the longest-serving prime minister now in Israel's history, he is watching very, very closely and has his finger on the pulse of what's happening. You know, it is so interesting to realize that Netanyahu was the first one, a world leader, who spoke out against the Iranian nuclear deal that President Obama put together. And actually, I think he may have well been the only one to speak out against it, standing by himself, going into Washington, D.C., addressing a joint session of Congress there at uh, the Capitol building. Uh, but now he's saying to the Europeans, you're not going to wake up until Iran really drops a nuclear weapon on top of you. That's a exhortation to the Europeans that they had better pay attention to, shouldn't they? Well, absolutely, Jimmy. I mean, we're not talking about just their nuclear program. There's so much else going on, and we've been detailing it here week by week for several years now, uh, nefarious actions by Iran. And, of course, today is the 25th anniversary of the bombing in Buenos Aires in Argentina, which killed 85 Jews there, and that was attributed to Hezbollah. Hezbollah, of course, created by Iran. I was in South Lebanon in 1982 when they established that militia, now a major force around the world, even in South America, doing attacks, etc. So uh, this is uh, the situation. Israel is facing an enemy that is determined to destroy it, or so the leaders of Iran have been saying, uh, really since the revolution in 1979 that uh, the little Satan will disappear, and they continue to talk like that, but not just talk. They continue to beef up their allied militia forces, the latest reports being in Iraq. We're seeing a major beefing up of Iraqi uh, pro-Iranian forces not far from the Syrian-Jordanian uh, border, which is not far from Israel. Nothing is far from Israel in the region. You know that. It's a small area. Israel's right at the center of it. They know it, but again, they're doing as much as they can to to avoid war, but if it comes, the warning from the prime minister, the warning from the former president, uh, Shimon Peres, the late Shimon Peres, that Israel has surprises that nobody will uh, anticipate. Of course, the other side is saying the same thing, but I would tend to bet on the Israelis in that contest. The startup nation, a lot of brilliant people there, and they definitely are on the cutting edge of both military and civilian technology. You mentioned just a moment ago Hezbollah there, there in southern Lebanon at Israel's northern border. And it looks like the Israeli military is in the process of increasing protections for any type of strategic strike from Hezbollah missiles, which could be a real threat and a danger to Israel, could it not? Well, yes, and Jimmy, we had last week the Hezbollah leader Nasrallah saying that we can now not only hit the port of Eilat, which is the southernmost city in Israel, it's uh, about 200 miles south of 
uh, Lebanon, where Hezbollah is stationed. But he said we can hit beyond that. Well, beyond that, of course, is Saudi Arabia, also involved in this conflict. So um, Hezbollah is a major arm of Iran, Jimmy. It's their major military ally in the region. And again, they set it up. I was there. In fact, the very first suicide attack in the Middle East was a donkey bomb in South Lebanon. It was a Hezbollah elderly man, a Hezbollah supporter on a donkey, came up to some Israeli soldiers and blew himself and the donkey and killed, I think, four soldiers in the attack. The very first suicide attack was from Iran through its proxy Hezbollah forces. And I said, Argentina, they've been killing ever since, not only in the Middle East, but all over the world. A very dangerous force indeed, but in terms of missiles, an extremely dangerous situation. And the Israelis are watching and doing everything they can to reduce Hezbollah's capabilities. The attack in Syria two weeks ago was uh, designed to do that. But still, they're a major force in the Israelis are contending, again, as best they can with them. David, let me go back to what you mentioned just a moment ago about the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, now the longest-serving Prime Minister in Israel's history, even surpassing that legacy of David Ben-Gurion when he served as Prime Minister. That's quite an achievement for the present Prime Minister, isn't it? Jimmy, 13 years and 127 days out of Israel's history, he has been Prime Minister. And I mentioned to you that I was in Tel Aviv when he was first elected to the Knesset in 1988. And then 1996, he became prime minister, served for three years, was defeated by Ehud Barak, who's back on the political scene again. And then in 2009, he returned to that seat. This is uh, 37% of Israel's history. They've had two men, David Ben-Gurion or Benjamin Netanyahu. Ben-Gurion dominated the first two decades of Israel's existence. Netanyahu has dominated the last two decades of Israel's existence. Amazing, really, and of course he's established ties with many Arab countries. He's reinforced the peace process. He's been a lot more moderate in terms of his military retaliations than people were projecting or expecting. The ultra-hawk, they said, but he's actually been pretty restrained. But he has presided over several military operations forced upon Israel, of course. So this is the situation, Jimmy. He is uh, well-loved, but also has many enemies, and of course trying to win another round this uh, fall in the upcoming elections to remain as prime minister. One other item I want to talk to you about, David, is Neil Armstrong. July the 20th was the 50th anniversary of the walk on the moon by this amazing man, Neil Armstrong. But about two decades after he had walked on the moon, in 89, 1989, he came to Israel for a visit, and a friend of mine, uh, Mayor Ben Dove, was his special guide. And Armstrong said to Mayor, he said, hey, listen, I want to walk someplace where Jesus walked. Can you take me to an absolute for sure place where he did? And when Neil Armstrong walked on that spot, he said, you know, I'm more excited about walking where Jesus walked than I was walking on the moon. That's quite a testimony from Neil Armstrong, but it's a great, great truth that many people can participate in when they go to Israel as well, can't they? Indeed, Jimmy, and I was there when he visited reporting for CBS, 
and got to see him in person. And it's the same feeling I had, Jimmy, when I walked the first time in December of 1980 into the Western Wall Plaza, into those ancient stones of the Temple Mount, right below the Temple Mount, and went up to the wall and touched those stones. I knew I was touching something that... Jesus had been a part of. He had walked on that temple. He may not have touched that exact spot, but he was there. And it is the most, I agree with him, the most exciting, the most spiritually fulfilling thing. Although I wouldn't mind walking on the moon, just not preparing for it and making the long ride. If I could avoid that, that would be good. <laughs> David, that's a great thought. I agree with that. I'd love to walk on the moon. In fact, I normally walk at night, and when the moon's up, I get really excited about seeing that moon. But uh, indeed, walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, very key to my life, your life, and all of those who know and love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Hey, David, thank you for the report. Great report. Appreciate it. We need you every week to keep us updated on what's going on in that part of the world. So thank you for participating with us today. We'll talk again next week, buddy. I'm blessed to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Elwood McQuaid from Friends of Israel is going to be talking to us about anti-Semitism. They had a special summit in Washington, D.C. at the Department of Justice. We'll talk about that in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We've asked for 90 minutes. We're moving into our second 30-minute segment. And if you'll give us the 90 minutes, we'll give you the world with our broadcast partners giving us insight into the current events that are happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In just a moment, we'll bring Dr. Elwood McQuaid to this broadcast table. And then a bit later on in this half hour, Dr. Don DeYoung will give us details about how the first moonwalk did take place, a scientifical historic event. And Don will tell us why it would be beneficial, or if it would be beneficial, to continue this type of a program. Don't leave that dial because Don's got some very important and interesting information. Well, we're here in Tallahassee, Florida in temporary studios after the broadcast. We'll go west over to Pensacola, Florida, the Marcus Point Baptist Church. 
Pastor Gordon Godfrey is the man who is inviting all of you in that region. If you hear us on the radio out there, Faith Radio will be covering that area. And if you can come and join us on Sunday morning, we'll have only one service, a prophecy service Sunday morning at 10 o'clock over at the Marcus Point Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Come and join us. Well, I mentioned Dr. Elwood McQuaid. What a longtime friend he has been, a dear partner in ministry many times. He was the director of the Friends of Israel ministry to the Jewish people, and he the editor of the unbelievable magazine that they produce. It's entitled Israel My Glory. And it's the best produced Christian magazine I've ever seen. I just can hardly wait to get my copy each and every time it comes out. Elwood, can the people, I know that you used to offer a three-month free subscription to the magazine. Uh, Can they still get a copy of that magazine through that deal? Yes, Friends of Israel would be delighted to uh, send three months. If our listeners will just go to the web. FOI.org and ask for it and they'll give it to you. FOI.org. That's the location to go. Elwood, you know, this last week there was a very important meeting that took place at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. And uh, the Attorney General Barr was responsible for pulling the meeting together. In addition to that, he had the Secretary of Education, uh, Betsy DeVos. He had the Secretary of the Treasury and the FBI Director, Christopher Wray, at that particular meeting. And they were focused on anti-Semitism. Now, this was a key summit, was it not, Elwood? Yes, it was. And the wonderment of it is, Jimmy, that we would ever have such a conference held in the United States of America. The Attorney General called this phenomenon that we are witnessing now in growing, growing numbers is as a cancer, and I couldn't agree more. As we see the rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Israel hostility in this country, of all places, as well as the Western world developing, it is a cancer that can be terminal in a very real sense. So it was an important time, and I'm gratified that it's finally being recognized at the highest uh, levels in the United States. Well, and in the government, taking attention to this is key because it has to be stopped. As you said, it cannot be terminal. The Lord tells us in his word he's not going to allow the Jews to be wiped out. And that's, of course, the ultimate aim of anti-Semitism. And it's not only from the citizens of the United States of America, but some of the elected officials, political leaders, are speaking against the Jewish people as well in their radical rhetoric. Yes, and when they do that, they're contributing to three phases of this phenomenon, anti-Semitism, that we need to address Absolutely must. Because what we're seeing, Jimmy, is this. Number one, hate-filled rants against Israel and the Jewish people produces violence. First it's words, then it's blood. We've seen all this before, and we should have learned from it, but we're forgetting as a nation, as a people, and we need desperately to be reminded. Look, we've had violence that has been produced out of this uh, rhetoric of hate, 
in Charlottesville, Pittsburgh, California, and even at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., Jimmy, we've had an attack from a Holocaust denier. Secondly, in the classrooms and campuses of America, and this was dealt with also in this conference, that what we're having developed in the hate-filled actions that are taking place in classrooms and campuses now, it's a reflection, you know this very well, the Palestinian Authority in Israel indoctrinates their children at the lowest level. They start to get the minds of the young, and we were seeing that on the campuses and in classrooms. And also, number three, we have this anti-Israel propaganda and acts against the state, divestiture and isolation that is so devastating. And it made me think of the a sort of subtle manifestation of the Kristallnacht when the uh, fascists were destroying Jewish businesses, that we can't do business with Jews. And, and here in America, people saying we can't do business and we can't contribute to the wealth and the uh, abilities of Israel really to serve the world in the way only they can. So all of these things on the table, and they must be addressed. You know, I was reading the article about this summit and noticed that in attendance were a bunch of representatives of the Jewish organizations here in America. And I think that was key because these people need to realize what the potential for danger of their lives here in this land might be. Exactly. Bottom line is this. The big question, the huge question, the compelling question actually is why. Why anti-Semitism? Why hate Israel? What have the Jewish people done to be tracked across the centuries and the millennia and marked for destruction? And this is where you come in and your ministry comes in. And those who propagate biblically-based prophetic themes understand only, and this is the only place you'll get your information, what Scripture declares history will manifest, and that's exactly what we're seeing develop here. Because rationally, humanly speaking, you can't, you can't hate Israel. You can't hate the Jewish people. They've contributed more to your life and mine, Jimmy. And by the way, they've given us our Savior. And what would a world look like today without the Jew? That's a compelling question. It's only answered if you understand prophecy and where the end times are headed. God declares it, history will manifest it. You know, I remember often being with you when you would speak at the NRB, National Religious Broadcasters. We'd have a special time to honor Israel. And you always brought out, you know, what would this world be without a Jewish Savior, a Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ? And you did it so lovingly, even the Jewish people there could not uh, get upset with you at all. And, and, and in fact, that is the bottom line. We must educate today the young and the old. That's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. That's the problem. And when you have, as we have recently, a high school or middle school, I forget which, principal, who is saying that he doubts the reality of the Holocaust, for example, when we have that kind of thing happening 
among our young people and our children, Jimmy, it's mind-boggling that that would even be a question. But we need to get, we must get the hearts and the minds of our children, our young people, the people on our campuses, the people across America to understand that the, the mandate to believers and free people is to love the Jewish people and to support the land of Israel and the rights that God has given them in that land. That's the mandate that we must incorporate into the lives of our children. It's a shame that we're not seeing it more succinctly worked out in our churches and in our institutions. I was glad to see that that school principal was fired because of that stand he took on the Holocaust. One more question for you, Elwood. You know, the Bible talks about prophecy as it relates to the Jewish people, and that probably is the main focus for most of Bible prophecy. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 mentions, there will be another Holocaust worse than the first one back in World War II. That Holocaust during the tribulation period, killing two out of every three Jews, that would number over eight million Jews killed in the future. And so, as you said, not only educating the Christian and their responsibility to the Jew, but we need to educate the Jew that he or she needs to receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah, before it's too late, don't we? Well, yes, we do. That's the answer. Look, I can speak for myself. I met him in 1948 on my knees in Romulus, Michigan. When I went down on my knees, Elwood McQuaid, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I say it this way for myself, Jimmy. One day I met a Jew. He changed my life. He transformed my eternity. I owe him everything. And the privilege of sending back to the Jewish people love that comes from the heart of true Christians to their hearts in the message of the Messiah, that's our, that's our mandate. That is our mandate. And by the way, I met him on my knees on December the 23rd, 1951, as an 11-year-old boy. Boy, that Savior has been mine since then and will be forever as well. Elwood, thank you so very much for joining with us today and discussing this issue. It's a rising issue not only among the people, the Christians of this world, in fact, and the political leaders. Thank you. We needed to draw attention to it, and I hope we can have another conversation real soon. Right. Thank you, Jimmy. Elwood McQuaid, very, very well-spoken as it relates to the reasons behind anti-Semitism and actually what we, especially the body of Christ, need to be doing. We need to be educating the young and the old as well, I would say, as to what it means to love and honor and be biblical as it relates to the Jewish state of Israel. Well, we're now going to shift to a region of the world that is key as you look at the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. We're talking about the European Union and the man who covers that for us, John Rood. John, it's great to have you along today. Hey, Prime Minister Netanyahu made a statement this week. I want to see what your reaction to it is. He said that some in Europe will have to only wake up when they have a Iranian nuke land on them. 
What do you think about that? I mean, at the, he's really talking about the bottom line, isn't he? Absolutely. Very, very serious situation. Uh, we obviously know forces are building from Iran. And Prime Minister Netanyahu's statement uh, right away struck me because if Europe would wake up to an Iran nuke, uh, it would have to pass over Israel. One of the things that happens here is that the U- European Union has taken a stand that the Iranian noncompliance to the nuclear treaty and as well the enrichment of the uranium beyond what was called for. They've come out, all 28 EU foreign ministers have insisted that Iran's actions to surpass their uranium enrichment is not considered significant enough to be condemned or to be a noncompliance. So, yes, Europe has a sort of a wake-up stage. The United States is, is coming out strongly saying Europe should uh, condemn the Iranian actions. Instead, it appears to be more of a constant appeasement. Yes, that constant appeasement may cause them problems uh, down the line. Well, what about this headline that we get from out of the European Union and in Russia? NATO sources The pundits linked to NATO are saying that Russia is set for a regional war sometime in Europe. But do all the facts really back that up, John? You know, this kind of of reminds me of Cold War propaganda. We thought some of that was gone, but it's still very much alive. Russia can report some of these stories that don't make the Western uh, stories with a unique twist. And they actually give attention to it by denying it. And so we have to look more at uh, some of the foolproof facts. Uh, Russia certainly does have assertive policies. NATO is certainly concerned about it. Uh, Just out a statement from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who was the ex-Prime Minister of Norway, he just told the BBC that the nuclear missile treaty with Russia, that's the United States and Russia, is at risk of falling apart, and, quote, we have to be prepared for a world with more Russian missiles. So this is part of the entire spectrum that, that we see happening. Forces are building. Forces are building, and things are becoming more precarious concerning Russia, that's for sure. Another uh, fact to add, Jimmy, is uh, Russia also just expressed a desire to join the European Union payment channels to Iran that circumvents the U.S. sanctions. So that's called INSTEX. So Russia as well, seemingly on good terms, but of course with its own motive to bypass the U.S. sanctions to get cash to Iran as well. John, I hear that Iraq is considering holding a conference uh, between actually the United States and Iran to see if they can bring down the tensions some, and it looks like the European Union is endorsing that. What do we know? A European Union foreign policy chief is Frederica Mogherini. She went to Iraq and had a high-scale meeting with the Iraqi foreign minister. Iraq is a very interesting situation. Um, Our listeners should be aware that Iraq is not the Iraq of the days of Saddam Hussein. Uh, At that time, there was much of a tension between the Sunni groups, but now Iraq is actually a Shia majority. And so it's Seems strange, but Iraq's major allies are the United States and Iran. So Iran has actually worked sending militia into Iraq 
to eradicate Islamic State, etc. So the idea of a regional conference actually gives way to the idea that this certainly is a regional conflict. Iraq is very concerned that they would not be another battleground in, in, a, in a conflict, but Iraq, being a Shia majority now, is in the spotlight, and it won't go away. I would expect to see much more in the area of Iraq because it has alignment with the United States and Iran. Jean, you just mentioned the European Union's foreign policy lady, Mogherini, and she has cautioned against any dangerous adventures in the Middle East. What do we know about what she is saying, dangerous adventures? Well, Mogherini and the Iraqi government, they're concerned about increased tensions between the United States and Iran, where they could be in the middle ground, of course, and to avoid an escalation. We note that the European Union's involvement in the Middle East is always something to monitor significantly on the prophetic side. You know, it's interesting as you look at the scenario found in Bible prophecy, two major powers at the time right after the rapture, beginning of the tribulation period, that would be Russia and their coalition in the Middle East and the European Union, which will become the revived Roman Empire. And that's the reason we have a conversation on a weekly basis with John Rood. He keeps us abreast of what the European Union is doing, how they're progressing towards that prophetic scenario. John, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. My pleasure. Thank you. Very interesting report from John Rood. The European Union update is always key as we keep a focus on that region of the world because it does have a relationship to Bible prophecy and the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. 1969, on July the 20th, there was a historic event, a very important scientific event that took place. That was the day when man first walked on the moon. I wanted to think about that on the anniversary of this 50th year after the man walking on the moon, Neil Armstrong, would say as a short step for man, but a giant step for mankind. Well, it's very interesting to be able to discuss that. And the man, of course, you know that I would go to would be Dr. Don DeYoung. He's an astronomer. He's a scientist. And he would be the man who would know what I wanted to ask and be able to give us answers that will help us to understand how significant this was. This was a significant scientific event, wasn't it, Don? Well, yes, Jimmy, it was a giant step, and I think we can be proud of that early U.S. technology that was able to pull it off, traveling a quarter million miles outward from the Earth. When that did happen, uh, there was a lot of apprehension as to whether this would be able to take place or not, and there were thousands of people involved, only three men on that rocket ship that was going to the moon, but thousands involved on the Earth. And they had to spend many, many hours in preparation. These astronauts, not only Neil Armstrong and the ones that were with him, but the others as well, they were the cream of the crop. And amazing to me, only 38 years of age, I think Neil Armstrong was, when he walked on the moon. It's interesting to me also that the moon was at the exact spot that it was to be. I mean, that was God's 
work when he put it all together and on that fourth day of creation placed the moon in the skies, wasn't it? Well, certainly, you know, the the laws of uh, space that God set up make things very predictable. And the very location, the very spot where the eagle was to land was all set up ahead of time. And in those early days, uh, you know, first-generation computers and slide rules, and still uh, the mission was successful. Don, talk to us about what the United States was able to receive from this experimentation and sending a man to the moon. I mean, was it all give and no take for us? Well, that kind of science pays major dividends. Uh, We call them spinoffs. Such exploration, it it pumps technology to come up with uh, new devices and new ways to solve problems. So it really is a, a good investment. I mean, from the space age, we have computers, we have smartphones, we have the Internet. For good or bad, it has pushed, you know, that whole world um, far ahead. In another direction, though, Jimmy, uh, I think uh, what the whole message showed us was how important the Earth is. As uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin called the moon, the magnificent desolation. It shows how special the Earth was created compared with the moon and everywhere else. I have a good friend who's an archaeologist in the city of Jerusalem, Mayor Bendove. And when Neil Armstrong visited Israel after he walked on the moon, Mayor Bendove was guiding him, and he went to the spot where they know Jesus would have walked. Absolute. They are just X marks the spot. And Neil Armstrong walked there, and then he stopped, and he looked back at Mayor Bendove, and he said, you know, I walked on the moon. That was exciting. But to walk in the spot where Jesus Christ walked on the earth is the most exciting thing that's ever happened in my life. He had an appreciation for Jesus and for creation and the fact that he'd been able to do this task. Well, many of the astronauts had changed lives as a result of um, uh, their their space career, realizing that the Earth is special, an oasis in space, and just uh, the whole look that they had on life that kind of goes along with that verse in Ecclesiastes that we have an eternity in our hearts. The astronauts felt that very closely. One of my good friends, after he had walked on the moon, was Jim Irwin. Uh, Our children knew the Irwin children, and they went to Word of Life camp up in Scroon Lake, New York, when they were teenagers. And Jim, after he walked on the moon, had an advocation of trying to find Noah's Ark there on Mount Ararat. And he fell and slipped and hurt himself pretty badly. When he returned to the United States, his daughter called me and says, Hey, Dad, want you to pick him up at the airport? He didn't want to see all those media people. And I just had a great relationship with Jim. It was great to be able to talk and walk with some man who had walked on the moon. But he is one of those guys, when he got back, he just went around the world. In fact, I saw him in Korea, Seoul, Korea, and he was there to give testimony to the president. And they did that. And this was this was a great byproduct as it relates to Christianity for us, these men walking on the moon, wasn't it? Well, it certainly was, and, you know, there's our moon up there, our nearest neighbor, faithfully circling the Earth once a month, as it's been doing since creation. It was a great place to visit, but it uh, showed that uh, you have to bring your own air along and your water supply. It shows us planet Earth, well, there's, there's just no place like home, the special world that God made for us. 
Yeah, I love that. No place like home here on planet Earth. Well, praise the Lord for that. I uh, walked last night, Don. I got to tell you, I saw that moon. I go get your book on astronomy, and I look at it, and I realize, what else? I was looking at Jupiter up there at the same time. I just love walking and looking at our nearest neighbor out there in space, the moon. Talk to me as we conclude our conversation, if you will, Don, about is there anything in the Bible that's pro or con us continuing this time of experimentation? They've talked about going to Mars and other locations in outer space. What are your thoughts from the Word of God? Well, Scripture certainly says that uh, God created the earth for us, but the heavens belong to Him. But at the same time, He's given us that drive to explore, to find new things, so visiting the moon, visiting uh, Mars, or perhaps uh, other planets, we have a lot to learn, all the details of creation, and I think that's worthwhile. Again, it also uh, accelerates technology, but as far as inhabiting other places and branching out, I think it's clear from Scripture that Earth here is, is where we belong. Isaiah, I think that's chapter 48 that says that exact same thought. Hey, Don, thanks so much. I wanted to have you as we commemorate the 50th anniversary of the walking on the moon by man, by a United States citizen, Neil Armstrong, who was one who then walked in the steps of Jesus, said that was even more exciting. And I tell you what, I'm not sure about the exploration in the future of different planets. I'm waiting for the rapture when we'll go by all the planets into the third heaven. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Thank you, Jimmy. We all await that special day. What a great conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung, thinking about the 50th anniversary of man walking on the moon. It's happened in many of our lifetimes, and I'm praying that rapture will happen in my lifetime and yours as well, and it could be even today. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. One more conversation with one of my broadcast partners. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move in to our last half hour. So glad you could stay with us to give us the 90 minutes where we present our broadcast partners and the reports they give us of current events happening around the world that actually may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We'd love to study Bible prophecy with you. We're going to be in the Pensacola, Florida area on Sunday morning at the Marcus Point Baptist Church. We'll be there for one service, a big service at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Gordon Goffrey, who is the pastor, invites all of you to come and join us. This will be a great time to find out what God's Word says about the future. You want to hear what God's Word says because it is and absolute. That's the Marcus Point Baptist Church. It's in Pensacola, Florida. Come study that word that tells us about the future at the church, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Also, I would like for you, after the broadcast is over, to go to my website, 
prophecytoday.com. I have a poll question that I've put on my home page. If you'll go to the home page, scroll down the left-hand column, you'll find the poll question. Let me read it to you, but I want you to answer the question a bit later after the broadcast is over. Here's the question. Since July 20th is the 50th anniversary of man walking on the moon, the moon that Jesus created, and since Jesus is the Alpha, the Creator, and the Omega, Revelation 1.8, should we not study the prophetic scenario that Jesus has given us, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, that tells us about the future? Now, I hope you'll answer in the positive that you want to study what God's Word has to say about the future. The book of Revelation, book of Daniel, book of Ezekiel would be great locations for you to study the prophetic Word of God. We want to also tell you that when you go to the website, I have a location on my website entitled Joshua Travel. There we talk about our tours. We do six to eight tours each and every year. Love to have you come and go with us. Walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ as Neil Armstrong did and said that was the most exciting thing he had ever done, even more exciting than walking on the moon. You can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Come go with us. Go to Joshua Travel. Find out what dates we're going to be going to the land of the Bible. Also, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know to make your decision and travel with us to the land of the Bible. We now bring to this microphone David James. Yes, you can check your clock. It's that time of the week when David and I get together, have a conversation on an issue that is of key importance to the body of Christ. We want to discuss it and learn the biblical perspective on that particular issue. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about conversion therapy for homosexuality. And what is it and how does it work? David, this week, we connect with you. You're here in the United States. I cannot believe that. You're home for several weeks before you return to Uganda in September. You didn't teach them enough this last week. Got to go back in September. Yeah, I guess I didn't teach enough, although it was a massive course. It's by far the largest and most intensive course I've ever taught, and I've been teaching uh, over 30 years now. I I taught the equivalent of 36 class hours in just seven days. There were almost 50 pages of student notes and over 1,400 PowerPoint slides that I put together. And uh, as you noted, I'll be going back in September to Uganda to teach for the National Theological College and Graduate School again which uh, meets on the Word of Life Uganda campus. And then, uh, at that time, I'll be teaching current theological issues, and I'll be expanding a course that I've taught many times in just 10 hours, and I'll be expanding it to that same 36-hour format. And uh, these trips, to be honest with you, Jimmy, they're not for the faint of heart. Getting to and from Word of Life Uganda in the Philippines is generally over 30 hours of travel uh, from door to door. So, uh, amazing. Amazingly, I'm doing pretty well, even though I got home just a couple of days ago. Well, praise the Lord for you young guys who can do all that traveling and do all the teaching as well. I'll be praying for you as you're out there in Uganda. But get a couple of days rest. You need that rest before you go back. David, you taught a couple of years ago at our School of Prophets, and we don't give the load to you as heavy as they do out in Uganda. 
but you talk on current theological issues in our School of Prophets, and I know that one of the topics you deal with in that course is what you call the LGBT agenda. Talk to us about that. Well, that's right, and there's a good reason that I use that title, that is calling it the LGBT agenda, because those promoting what I would say are perverted sexual behaviors, they aren't content just to live quiet lives and be left alone. They're determined to transform society, and I would say they're actually succeeding at a number of different levels, even including among Christians and even those who consider themselves to be evangelicals. Uh, one of the things I talk about, one of the things I talk about is an article that came out the day after the Supreme Court ruling four years ago, which forced states to allow same-sex marriage. One of that article's four authors said that one of their goals was to completely abolish marriage as a legal category. And another thing I do in the course is show a video clip of the author of the book God and the Gay Christian, Matthew Vines, giving what he says are seven reasons why the Bible supports same-sex relationships. And I would say even this week we're seeing some of the direct results of this relentless campaign to really erase all gender identity. That's happened out in Berkeley, California, where the city council removed all gendered language from the city code. So they no longer have manholes, they're maintenance holes, firemen become firefighters, and madman is now called artificial. But I would also say that at the same time, there are former homosexuals speaking out and saying that this movement can be resisted and that people can change their sexual behavior. Well, this brings us then to our topic for this week, which is conversion therapy for homosexuality. And this has been in the news in recent weeks because earlier this month, Amazon.com actually banned several books on this issue from its website. Why was this the case? Well, you're right, and a group of former LGBT individuals called Voice of the Voiceless actually created a petition on Change.org accusing Amazon of censorship, and they demanded that 11 books be relisted on the Amazon website. As far as I can tell, the first books removed by Amazon were by a man named Joseph Nicolosi, who died in 2017. He was a founder and director of the Thomas Aquinas Psychological Clinic and a founder and president of the National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality. And Amazon apparently pulled his books after a homosexual in England started a campaign on social media to get people to bombard the books with bad reviews. And he also apparently convinced Amazon that Nicolosi's books violated their rules on publishing, and he argued that these books were harmful to people in the LGBT community. Now, going back to Voice of the Voiceless, this group pushed back by arguing this was the height of hypocrisy because of the many pro-suicide books that are available on Amazon. And I just checked Amazon uh, just a little bit ago before we started our discussion, and Nicolosi's books were still not listed. But there are several other books available to those who uh, do want help with unwanted same-sex attraction. Obviously, David, conversion therapy has come under a lot of criticism in recent years as the LGBT agenda has gained momentum. Maybe you could give our listeners some of the early background and history concerning this approach to dealing with homosexuality. Because as I understand it, it did not really start out of a biblical approach to the issue. 
No, you're right. It didn't start out as a biblical approach. Uh, conversion therapy was originally connected with the idea that homosexuality is a mental disorder, and it has a fairly long history, actually going back to Sigmund Freud in the 1800s. Freud believed that homosexual tendencies could sometimes be overcome through hypnosis, but he was also convinced that there was really little hope of genuine conversion away from homosexuality. Then in the 1950s, there was a lot of work being done on this, and in 1950s, I believe it was, the American Psychiatric Association classified homosexuality as a mental disorder. Uh, then during the 1950s and 60s, most of the psychiatric associations in the United States approved the APA's classification and used various treatments to try to achieve change. But then in 1973, the APA came out opposing any attempt to change sexual orientation in any way. Now, going to some of the techniques that they use, some of the techniques were uh, that have been used in the past to try to convert homosexuals have included bullying, shaming, insults, and, and aversion therapy, which even included shock treatments and nausea-inducing drugs in the context of people actually watching pornography to try to get them to change. And in the 40s and 50s, there was even one neurologist who performed close to 3,500 lobotomies, operations on the brain separating the right and left hemisphere spheres of the brain in trying to uh, deal with this. And all of these things obviously were a little more than torture and were anything but biblical, so they ultimately had no consistent or lasting results. David, do you think another reason for so much pushback on conversion therapy may be because of what actually happened with Exodus International several years ago? I think probably so. Exodus International was founded in 1976 as a non ex-gay Christian umbrella organization, and it connected many other such organizations around the world to help with unwanted same-sex desires. It actually had over 250 local ministries in the United States and over 150 overseas. And, and during most of its history, Exodus International held to all homosexual relationships are sinful. And then in 2012, its president, a guy named Alan Chambers, told an audience at a gay Christian network conference, this is what he said, the majority of people that I have met and would say the majority, meaning 99.9% of them have not experienced a change in their orientation. And then he went on to apologize for a previous Exodus slogan, which, it, which was, change is possible. And then in an interview that same year, Chambers told the New York Times that he believed gay people can still have gay sex and go to heaven uh, as, an, as an end result of their lives here on this earth, that they can still be Christian and practicing gays. He also went on to say that conversion therapy doesn't work and is potentially harmful. And uh, one of the controversies in Exodus was even back in 1979 when one of the co-founders and another leader in the ministry divorced their wives and left the group to be in a relationship with each other. And then in 2000, that their chairman of the board was caught drinking at a gay bar in Washington, D.C. So none of this has actually helped those who believe that there are biblical answers to this issue. However, all of these problems certainly don't mean the end of ministry to those who struggle with homosexuality. And the voices of those who have been put their lifestyle behind them through a relationship with Jesus Christ, they can't be silenced, can they? 
Well, you're exactly right, Jimmy. You know, we have an enemy of our souls who only desires to steal, kill, and destroy. And all this negative history connected with conversion therapy doesn't change what the Bible has to say about the issue. When Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he included idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he went on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then in his second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote in chapter 5:17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we all have areas of our lives where we experience temptation, but as believers in Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin, and many former homosexuals can give testimony to this. This fact. So it's not a matter of therapy, which focuses on methodologies, but rather we need to be focused on evangelism and discipleship. That's when true deliverance from any sin can take place in anyone's life. David, thank you so much for your research on this issue. It's been coming up so often, I really didn't understand, and you helped me to come to a knowledge of what conversion therapy was all about. It's not uh, the methodology. It's the Word of God and the truth from God's Word on how all lives for any sin can be changed. I really appreciate what you've done as we've had this discussion on this particular issue. And uh, we'll do it again next week, buddy. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. You're very welcome, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book, discussing all the issues we've talked about with our broadcast partners right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical 
biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had our broadcast partners come to the broadcast table to give us details on current events around the world. On this special edition of Prophecy Today, the 50th anniversary of a man on the moon, we were able to be able to talk about Neil Armstrong not only walking on the moon, but walking in the location where Jesus Christ walked when he visited Israel. I'll have that story for you in just a moment. By the way, if you missed any of our interviews with our broadcast partners, we can accommodate you at my website. That's prophecytoday.com. Then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. All of the interviews are there, so you can listen to them. And do me a favor, be sure to tell a friend they need to hear what these men had to say. Very important reports. For example, today we heard from Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitical activities around the world, and we discussed the United States Navy taking down an Iranian drone. Now, in this prophetic perspective, we've got to understand that because of this activity in the Persian Gulf and near the Strait of Hormuz, tensions have been ratcheted up between the United States and Iran. The United States did not actually shoot down the drone, but used electronic equipment to shut the drone down, and it crashed on its own. The Bible talks about Iran as a major player in the end times. They will be a key component of the alignment of nations, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where they are mentioned as Persia. Iran will be a part of that alignment that it will endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. David Dolan had his Middle East news update for us. He talked about the prime minister, in fact, the longest-serving prime minister. Prime Minister Netanyahu has even served longer than the first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion. The prime minister says that the Israeli Defense Force today is the only military operation that can deal with Iran. Again, let me remind you, the U.S. is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. That means they either are not there or they're rendered inoperative. The Israeli Defense Force may be one of the best, maybe in the top three military operations in the world, are capable of dealing with Iran if they have to. Politically, Netanyahu told me himself that they would go in, do a preemptive strike if they had to, before Iran would become nuclear power. But that may be an effort politically. I've got to tell you prophetically that the Bible tells us Jesus will intercede in any battle between Iran and Israel. 
That's Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 18, through chapter 39 and verse 6. Elwood McQuaid came to the broadcast table, and we talked about anti-Semitism, which is actually leading to another holocaust. Anti-Semitism, as Elwood brought to our attention, is on the rise. Even political leaders have become very anti-Semitic, especially the four that are known as the squad. This will lead to a second holocaust. The first holocaust killed six million Jews back during World War II when Hitler and his Nazis wiped out one-third of the entire Jewish population at that time. But the Bible talks about in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 that two out of every three Jews during the seven-year tribulation period, referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble, during that time, These Jews will be killed, and that will be over 8 million Jews killed, worse than the first Holocaust. John Rood covers the European Union for us. He's lived in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years, and he knows that location. And what we talked about this time is that Russia is getting set for a regional war with the European Union. Of course, NATO was established to protect the European Union from Russia. And when you read through the scenario found for Bible prophecy in God's Word, you find out that there will be two major powers at the beginning of the tribulation period. The one power will be Russia, Ezekiel 38, and its Islamic alignment that will endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. The other power, the European Union, which I believe is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, will come to power as well. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And then those verses are interpreted in verses 23 and 24, also in Daniel chapter 7. The revived Roman Empire and the Magog battle the two major superpowers in the world right after the rapture and at the beginning of the tribulation period. And then David James offered us a great service in our conversation today. We talked about conversion therapy. You know, I didn't know exactly what that was talking about. I thought it was leading people to Jesus Christ. But therapy is not a biblical term. It's a methodology. And this was a wrong methodology, not based on biblical truth, but instead psychology. That's the base for conversion therapy. Only the biblical conversion can work in a person's life, get rid of all the sin, take it away, and give them the power to overcome any temptation that may confront them. This is what the Bible tells us about how we should deal with the homosexual community because the Bible tells us also in Genesis chapter 19 and the book of Romans chapter 1 that homosexuality, man with man, woman with woman, is absolute sin. So much so that God destroyed an entire society there in Sodom and Gomorrah. All of these reports from my broadcast partners are key 
Each one of them fit into the prophetic scenario for the end of times that is found in Bible prophecy. And if you understand this scenario, the next event will be the rapture of the church. And that rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up unto. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.